Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. I want to get started here. Have you ever been in this place where God asks you to do something strange? Have you ever been in that place? Like, I mean, maybe it's like, God asked me to put my hands up and worship or get on the floor. Or, I mean, maybe it's not that weird. Maybe it's like God asked me to like, I'm driving to church, right? And I'm driving or driving to my small group. And there's somebody by to the side of the road who's stopped and their blinkers are on, right? And God sort of like gives you that nudge, right? You know the nudge. The nudge, it's like, hey, you should stop and help them. And you have the inner dialogue, right? No, God, you would want me to be on time to church, right? Isn't this what we think? God's like, no, I, want, I don't want you to stop and help them. Be on time. It never enters your mind otherwise, right? I'll be late to church otherwise. But when there's somebody stopped by the side of the road, I, I, I can't be late. I got I to gotta go, right? Have you ever been like sort of inconvenienced where you feel like God is asking you to do something that doesn't immediately align with what you think he, his broader purposes in your life are? Have you ever been in that space? And like, if you haven't been in that space, just keep walking with Jesus long enough and he'll inconvenience you all the time. Um, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> Take that one off the recording, right? People hear that. Um, I, I want to sort of share you, with you a story that has been, and if you've been in any room where I've shared this story, I apologize, but just bear with me. Um, one of the things that I have admired about Jerry is that she is like, uh, you know, just this prophetic voice. And I don't know if you've noticed that, but she's a prophetic voice, like in this church. She's a prophetic voice in the city and in people's lives. But like, there was this one time we were when we were uh, in Ohio, and uh, I was interning as a worship pastor in a small church on the east side of Columbus, and uh, we were meeting in a funeral home. If you think it's weird to meet in the basement of the Salvation Army. A funeral home is much, much weirder. I mean, just to give you an example, we would on a regular basis have to move bodies to have church. That's weird, right? You know, people would come to church and it's like, well, this is where the funeral for my grandma was. It's a little bit weird. So we were looking for a building for obvious reasons uh, when I was interning there. And so on our way home, Jerry and I would drive past this uh, what was a dentist's office, but it was meeting in what used to be a church building. It's a nice-looking building, and, uh, and, and if the, the road to our house was a lot like the boulevard out here. It was just busy, right? There's cars constantly going. If you ever try to walk across it, it's a bit dangerous, right? Um, so we're driving, and uh, on our way home, and, and Jerry said, I want you to stop. Like, stop right here. Why? Well, I just feel like God's asking me to go lay my hands on that building and pray for it. Like, stopping on the boulevard to go put your hands on somebody else's building. It just, I mean, so, so I did, and she gets out, and she like sort of wades through the ivy on the way into, up to the building to put her hands on this building. And meanwhile, internally, I'm having this like dying a thousand deaths sort of thing happening, right? Like, like oh, all the people that drive by, I'll see me, I'm in the way. What, what explanation would I have? And I'm like try, trying to explain myself to people who are probably never actually gonna ask, right? So she comes back, gets in the car, and we drive home. 
And I would love to tell you, well, then because of that, that ended up being the church's, to my knowledge, it's still a dentist's office. I mean, that's been 10 years ago. Um, And it was this weird, uncomfortable, doesn't have anything to do with anything else sort of moment. And yet, I believe, and I think if you ask her, the Lord has shown her that the obedience in that weird off-the-wall step is why she is such a prophetic voice. Have you ever been in those spaces where you feel like God is taking you off course to do something strange, to do a task that seems weird? So we started this series a couple weeks ago uh, that we're calling Called, uh, and we're looking at the early years of David's life and just sort of trying to discern his, how calling worked in David's life. Uh, and so a couple weeks ago, I, I sort of talked to you about one way that calling works and some of the elements of calling, and you'll remember that or you can catch it on the podcast. Um, but today I want to look at a different story of calling uh, of David. So two weeks ago, I talked about how God had called David to be king of Israel. But we're going to look at a different story of calling of David today in, in a book of the Bible or in a chapter of the Bible that most of you will be familiar with. I'm calling today's message, When God Calls You to Handle Something. What I wanted to call this is, When God Calls You to Handle Your Business. So that can be the subtitle. Okay, so let's pray, and then we're going to look at uh, 1 Samuel 17. So let's just pray. So God, I do just, Lord, we're just so grateful that you have come to meet with us. God, that as we worship you, you interact with us, and Lord, that you have been present in this place, and I pray, Lord, that you would continue to do that. God, would you meet with us as we open your word, and we, and we look in, and we, and we want to see something of what it is that you do in the world, Lord. So would you speak to us? God, I pray that you would enable me to speak about calling in a way that would touch someone's heart and touch someone's life. Lord, would you get a hold of people? Would you put power on this message, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, this is, as you're turning there, I'll just give you, this is one of the stories that even the people who you know who don't know Jesus probably are aware of. If you watch a sporting event, this David and Goliath thing, right? It's the, the, the team that's not going to win, David and Goliath, and they're going to slay the giant, Right? Culture knows this story, even if they don't know the particulars of it. We're going to look at 1 Samuel 17, but I want to look at a a part of this story that you may or may not actually be familiar with, or maybe you've never really kind of like thought about. Um, As you turn there, 1 Samuel 17 is 58 verses. So we're going to stand here for the next 12 minutes while I read 58. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not actually going to do that. Um, But what I want to do is I want to look at this and and sort of explain to you sort of how God uh, calls David to end up being the guy that slays this giant, right? You know, this is sort of how the the story goes. Like, I told you at the very beginning of 1 Samuel that the Philistines and the Israelites kind of come back and forth and battle each other, like regularly. And at the beginning of 1 Samuel, the Israelites lose a couple of times. And so then they think, well, we just need a king who's going to lead us into battle. They get Saul. Saul is actually victorious, and he's successful. So, you know, these guys are like neighboring countries that just fight all the time. So they, they're back at battle uh, in, in 1 Samuel 17, and they're lined up across a valley. So there's like, if you look at the map, 
there's like water that runs through this valley in between these two hills. And so it would be hard to get across the water. So it's not going to be like a, the whole army is, is rushing, but there's a, a water. So there's just this yelling happening back and forth from hill to hill, okay? Just, I'm, I want you to get that in, in your mind. Like if you think about like where we sit right now, right? There's a hill over there and a hill over there. Get that in your mind. Picture? Good? Cool. So the, the Philistines, though, they show up this time with their secret weapon, this giant man named Goliath. And Goliath does this. He, I want to read this beginning in verse 8, what he says. Goliath is this tall guy. Depending on who you, you know, read, it's not, I mean, you're not reading in feet, right? Feet and inches. But like roughly 9 to 11 feet tall. Verse 8, it says this. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I want to pause there for a minute. We have a few problems here, don't we? And maybe you don't see them, but the problem is that Goliath has defied the armies of the Israelites. And some of you go, yeah, so what? You know, that's what enemies do. They fight each other, right? But context tells us that in that time, when an army beat another army, it wasn't just a fight in the natural. It was a fight between your gods and our gods. And so whoever wins, their gods are supreme. That's the battle, which is why when you look back at the very beginning of 1 Samuel and the Israelites lose, and then they go, well, it's because we didn't bring our God with us. So they bring the Ark of the Covenant, and of course God is like, I'm not like a talisman that you can just sort of bring along like a, you know, like a rabbit's foot. And so they lose again. But there's this idea of battle between gods that's happening that takes place through armies. And so when Goliath says, uh, goes and defies the armies of the Israelites, what he's saying is, our gods are superior to your God. That's a problem, right? Because we know that that's, that's not actually true. The battle was not between the Philistine army and the Israelite army. The battle was between the gods of the Philistines and the, the god of the Israelites. That's the first problem. The second problem is that Saul, did you see what he did there? Saul, the appointed king of the Israelites, whose job it is to lead them into battle successfully, what does he do? He cowers in fear. The very guy who is supposed to lead them into battle runs and hides. And of course, you guys know how leadership works, right? Doesn't matter how, how you know, excited you are when the leader runs, everybody else runs. I mean, let me start running out of here right now. You all are going <laughs> to probably go, where's he going? What's going on, right? That happens. And so Saul, the appointed leader, the king, cowers in fear. He ought to stand up and defend the honor of the God of the Israelites. But he doesn't do it. He hides. And the third problem then is, because he hides and cowers in fear, so do the Israelite armies. We have some problems here. And verse 16 says this routine goes on for 40 days. 
So it's not like a, you know, one time he mouthed off and we just sort of like let it go. Forty days, Goliath comes out and he yells the same thing and the Israelite armies hide for 40 days. And they're not going to muster the courage to battle him. So what is God going to do? Well, God does the same thing he always does. One of the things, this has a side note from this, this story one of the things we did in the early days that we have learned differently, we used to start ministries and hope that someone would come along to lead them. And what ended up happening is Jerry and I led all the ministries in the church, and there were no leaders of ministries, because that's not how it works. But if you watch what God does, God raises a leader for a calling, and that's what he does. Let's skip down to verse 20. David's brother, bro, brothers, David's brothers. Glad I could amuse you. <laughs> so David's brothers have gone to fight in the army with Saul. And their father, Jesse, wants to know how they're doing. Of course, you know, like two weeks ago, David doesn't get to go. David's kind of left behind hanging out with the sheep. Verse 20 says this, Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Wherever the Israelites, uh, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. The same thing happens that's been happening for 40 days. Goliath stands up, calls out the Israelite armies, they get scared, and they run. The difference is after 40 days, here's David, and he hears it, and he sees it. And because David is a man after God's own heart, he says nobody should talk about God that way. Who's going to do something about this? Somebody? Which one of you is going to do something about this because something has to be done? Who's going to do something about this? And we all see the problem, right? And the point I want to make today is that these are often the questions that are present in you when God is calling you to something. These are the questions of calling. I see this thing. Who's going to do something about it? There's a problem here. Who's going to fix it? Somebody has to. It's the gap between what you see in front of you and what you know to be true of the way things work when God is in charge. And I'm sure a lot of you have been in that space, right? You have seen something of the world or something in this church or something in any church that you're like, this is not the way it's supposed to work when God is in charge. There's a gap here. Who's going to do something about it? Have you been in that place? Somebody has to do something because we know this isn't the way it's supposed to be. The Spirit of God makes us aware of something that's not right. And it's not this fleeting, like, you know, you walk by, I mean, you all have seen it. If you haven't, you're going to see it now. That, the win, one of the windows in that door back there is cracked. How many of you have seen the cracked window? Thank you. We have to fix that. And it's not like I just see the cracked window, 
And it's like, well, somebody should do something about that. But I go on. It's like this lives with you. Like even if I try to pretend like I don't see the cracked window every time, this is, this is not right. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. That we see something that's not the way God intends and God won't let it go. That we see it and we see it over and over and over and it has to be dealt with. And this is what's happening with David. David sees this thing and he says, all right, somebody's got to deal with that. I'm not leaving here until somebody deals with that. And if you read the rest of the story, the verses that we have to skip because there's too many of them, they don't even want him to stay. His brothers are like, what are you here for? Would you get lost? Who's actually watching the sheep? They don't want him there. But he's like, I can't leave until something is done about this because God is, is in charge and this guy is defying God. Somebody has to deal with that. And I think if you want to see calling in your life and the places that God is calling you, a lot of time it's birthed out of the places of frustration that you feel. The difference between what God says should be and what is. And it's in those spaces, if you pay attention, you'll find calling. If you pay attention to the emotions that come up, these places of deep sadness about how things are, even though we know they should be a different way. These places of deep anger because this is not how it should be. We have those, don't we? Or do we walk through life just completely apathetic? We have those, right? Every four years, the politicians remind us of them, right? This guy didn't fix the problem that he said he was going to fix. But this guy is, plays with sheep and is very nice. He will fix the problems paid for by, right? You guys know these, right? They just sort of stoke the things you already are aware of. The drug problem has gotten worse, but he hasn't dealt with it. Our guy knows about drugs. He's taken some in his life. <laughs> right? But all they're doing is stoking this awareness you already have. Right? That's the idea. It's, we know that drug problems shouldn't be a problem, and yet it is. And we know that when the kingdom of God comes, that's not the way it works. And yet we see something else. And God calls us in those places of frustration, in those places of sadness, in those places of anger about what happens. You, when, when you think about human trafficking, people get angry about that, right? If that burns in you, that anger that that should not be because Jesus is the king, that may be a place of calling for you. That's, if you pay attention to those places, that's where calling happens. When Jerry and I first uh, connected with a small group, if you've never been a part of a small group, it's weird. It's really weird. We were in Columbus, and, you know, we knew to go to church. We connected with this really big church so that we could hide and be, you know, very unknown. And then they said, you should be in a small group where people know you. And I said, I don't know about that. Well, you could lead worship for the small group. Okay, fine. So we go to this small group. And we connect with this small group, and it's these people who get together, and they eat together, and they pray together, and they, they open the Bible together, and once I got there with my guitar, they worshiped together, and they would serve together. We went and served at food pantries. We served at these single parents' uh, nights. All of these crazy things that were, like, to me was a little bit weird because these people, like, actually knew my name. 
And they sort of knew things about me, and I kind of wished that they didn't. And I saw this, and it was this beautiful, intimate, weird space. And yet, as soon as I got there, I said, Where, where's the way that people who don't know Jesus find their way into this fellowship? And from day one, it was this thing that was just frustrating to me. It's like, if, what I found is that I loved these people and that we cared for each other and amazing moments would happen in prayer and people would have prophetic words for my life and would, I just saw some awesome things and I thought, but what about the people who don't know Jesus? What about those people who are not going to just come knock on your door? I didn't want to knock on your door. This is weird. How do they find their way into a relationship with Jesus? And for a long time, I felt this deep frustration that people who were far from Jesus, like I was once upon a time, couldn't find their way into this fellowship. And how does that happen? Well, a few years after we had been there, they invited us to be leaders of this group. And it was out of that frustration that we created avenues where people could meet Jesus. And, and it was not as weird. We could bring people into relationship with ourselves that they might meet Jesus. And this passion was so, but it was out of that frustration. If you pay attention to the places of frustration, not always. Some people you're just prone to being frustrated. And that's a different problem. But sometimes frustration is a source of calling that God is calling you. You know, maybe you, you look around and, and, and you think, you know, there's so many people here who are new. There's so many people in this church who, who come in and they don't seem to be well connected. Somebody should do something about that because these people should be friends with us and be in relationship with us. Maybe that somebody is you. Maybe you are the person that God is calling to make those connections happen. Maybe you watch and we line up with the kids over here and it's amazing that like the kids ministry is just growing. These kids are I mean, I've just been amazed at what Abby and the rest of the team are doing with, with the kids' ministry. But you watch, and you notice that it's the same volunteers every time. And you're like, there should be more people. Maybe God is calling you to help with the kids' ministry. But it's not just like in the church. It's other places, right? If you pay attention to our community, you know, maybe you see that, that there's no, like the youth in this community have no place for hope and purpose and they're getting lost and your fear is, what about this generation? We're going to lose a whole generation because there's nothing for them and maybe you are the answer to that problem. Maybe you are the answer. And I will say, I've had some really exciting conversations recently that God is calling people in this church to be answers to that problem. God is asking people and inviting people into his mission in this community. And, and I think you're going to hear more about that in the coming weeks. But there's very exciting things happening around youth. But maybe you are someone who can press into being the solution for the youth in our community. I mean, maybe you see the, the, the epidemic of, of drug abuse that's running rampant in our city, and you're like, somebody should do something about that. Maybe it's you. Maybe you are somebody. It could be anything, right? Poverty, homelessness, fatherlessness. There's so many things in this world that, that need a kingdom influence. And God is inviting and is calling people into these situations. And the, thing, the fact of the matter is, you know, we can either be people who complain or we can be people who bring solutions, but we can't be both. 
You can either complain or be a solution bringer, but you can't do both. You can complain about the way the, the city is, you can complain about the way the community is, or you can be someone who brings solutions, but you can't do both. I think God is inviting us to be solution bringers. I think that's the invitation to this church. And I think the way that that works, this is why God is bringing worship as a focus here. And let me explain that just a little bit. We're being invited deeper and deeper into worship of God because here's what I think happens. I think the best we can hope for, if we're not kingdom people, the best we can hope for is we get a think tank together and we go, how do we solve the problem of youth in our community? And then we vote on it and we're like, well, I, you know, it's like five to four and, you know, that's not much of a majority, but we'll do this thing. That we can come up with the best ideas we can come up with. But the reality is that doesn't solve our problems. The problems in our community, are, the only way they get solved is by kingdom solutions, right? God has the answers for the problems that we face. Only God has the answers. Have you ever tried to go to, oh man, any counselors in here? Do you know that counseling doesn't heal people? Do you know that only Jesus heals people? That God can, and I'm all for counseling. I've been, I think it's amazing. I think it's great. But if Jesus doesn't come in and heal people, we can offer people sort of world-based solutions. But the problem is people need something deeper than that. Do you know that the answers to all the problems in our world is Jesus? That only Jesus fixes racist tendencies. Only Jesus heals divides between people. That's the problem, is that we haven't allowed Jesus to heal these things. So the best we can hope for is our good ideas, or we can be people who have been so into the throne room of God that we know where he keeps the hope. That we know this is the cupboard where Jesus keeps the compassion. This is where Jesus keeps the healing. And we come into, into to interface with the world and we say, I see the problem that you face here. Uh, you need hope. I live in two worlds at once. Let me bring hope to the situation. It's kingdom solutions that we need. And we need a people who are so living in the throne room of God, not just on Sunday morning, it's amazing, but that we are so soaked in the presence of God that we stand with our feet in two worlds at the same time. And in any given situation, we bring the resources and all the things that are needed from the world that is to come, we bring the resource of heaven and we apply it to the world that's broken. That's what we need. We don't need any more good ideas. We got all the good ideas we could ever hope for. We got all the PhDs sitting in a room with coffee cups and all the things, right? We don't need more good ideas. We need more Jesus. We need more people who have been saturated with the atmosphere of heaven that we bring into every space heaven. That we show up and transform spaces that we find ourselves in. That's why I say that all the time. 
that we would become a people who are so soaked in worship that we put God appropriately in the place that he belongs. It's not about me. It's all about you. You are all the resource that I need. You have all the resource that I need. And I live in that space. And then I bring that into the world that so desperately needs it. That's why we're pressing hard into worship. So that we don't have to be good idea people. We can be kingdom people. The world doesn't need more good idea people. The world needs more kingdom people. But there's another critical thing that we need to see about the story of David. You see, one of the mistakes that we make a lot of times is that we, we look around and we see the problems. And the question we ask is, we all see this, right? Have you been there? Everybody sees this, right? You see the problem. Goliath is over there mouthing off. Somebody has to do something. We all see this, right? And we believe that everybody sees this and just nobody's doing anything about it. Have you been there? It'll make you cynical if you don't recognize that that's a place of calling. What you begin to start wondering is like, if everybody sees this like I see it, how come nobody's doing anything about it? right? We all see this. Nobody's doing anything about it. And in our pastor-centric world, right, like pastors and paid staff do all the work. You guys have come to watch the show. That's the way that we tend to think of things. At best, we go, pastor, don't you see that this needs to be dealt with? I've done my duty. But maybe it's The reason that you see it is because you're seeing it before everyone else. Do you know that in the story, everybody knew Goliath was mouthing off. They were blocked by fear. They didn't see it, not because it wasn't right in front of them. They didn't see it because they had been steeped in this atmosphere of fear. David shows up, hasn't been steeped in the atmosphere, hears it and goes, hey guys, we got to do something. It's not that everybody didn't see it. It's that David saw it because he had fresh eyes for it. God will call you, and when God calls you, you will see things that other people don't see. And it's not because nobody else wants to do anything about it, but it's because God is inviting you to be the answer. One of the most beautiful things is when somebody comes up and says, I really do believe God is is calling me to solve this problem. Have you thought about the problem? And I'm like, I didn't even know it was a problem. Everybody assumes I see everything. I'm not Santa Claus. (laughs) a joke. Just check and see if you're awake. But here's why that's important. Because if you don't recognize that God maybe invites you to see it before he invites other people to see it, what you'll do is become a divisive person. You see something that needs to be dealt with. And if you don't know that that's a way that God is calling you, you start talking to everyone else about this thing that nobody cares about. And over a period of time, I've watched it happen. Over a period of time, a group of people starts to form against this group of people, and it boils until we're out. You have to recognize that sometimes God allows you to see it first because he's calling you. But if you're aware of the fact that you could see, see something that could be God's calling you to be the solution, you're unable to share it with someone who can release you to be the answer. The beautiful thing about David is he doesn't go rogue. 
Do you see this? David doesn't go just sort of do it on his own. He goes to Saul, which we talked about before. He knows he's going to replace Saul. He probably has a pretty good idea of all the things Saul is doing wrong. And yet he still goes to Saul and says, in verse 31, he said, what David uh, said was overheard and reported to Saul. Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David doesn't say, you really need to do something about this guy. He doesn't say, uh, somebody else should deal with this. David says, I'm going to be the solution to this problem, and yet I will work within the bounds of the authority structure God has created. Do you see that? Like, that's not the American way. We just sort of, God has called me, I'm going to go do it, and if you want to bless me, great. If not, I'm going to do it my own way. That's not the way the Christian life is intended to work. If, D- if David teaches us anything, David lives for a decade and a half under leadership that's incompetent. And when that leadership dies, when Saul dies, he actually goes after the guy who kills him, even though you would think it was a blessing. David works under the authority structures that God has created. That's how we're supposed to operate. Let me say one more thing before we wrap up. Verse 33. Saul replied, you are not able to go out uh, out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. A chapter earlier, David is anointed king. And he knows this. And like I said, a decade and a half goes by before he's actually made king. And so he's serving Saul for a decade and a half. And here's what I want you to take note of. God's calling on David's life is an ongoing thing. He says, I fought the lion, I fought the bear, I was successful. This is God preparing me so that now I can fight this Philistine and be successful, which, oh, by the way, prepares me because the king's job is to fight the battles, so I'm now prepared to become the king. Over a decade and a half, he then becomes the king. The preparation that happens over that time is what's going on. And it's the only reason that he can do this is because he sees that his calling is an ongoing thing. It's not about who he is. It's about what he does out of who he is. David is open to this because he lives in this lifelong of intimacy with God. But that's where all of this comes from, this lifelong intimacy with God. I've met so many people who think of calling as an ultimate destination. God has called me to plant a church. I'm not going to do anything until that happens. And here's the problem. That makes your calling and the thing that you do always subservient to intimacy with God. Anything else God might ask you to do is actually getting in the way. And when you get there, you become dreadful because my identity becomes the thing that I was called to do. What it means to be a mature follower of Jesus is that we recognize that intimacy with God is the goal, and God is free to change the assignment anytime he wants. 
God is free to change the assignment in your life anytime he wants. And the degree to which you live in intimacy with God is the degree to which that'll be okay for you. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.